book of Jude. Just one chapter, next to the last book of the Bible. But very full, practical instruction for the child of God. And I'm going to read just the first four verses of Jude. It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy on you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The title of the message this morning is simply, The Common Faith. So let's look to the Lord in prayer and Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open thy precious word. And Lord, I pray as you look into the word of God today that we'd be encouraged and challenged and strengthened. And Lord, if there be any in our midst today who do not have that common faith, that faith that was once delivered unto the saints and truly been born again by the Spirit of God and have a relationship, a living, vibrant relationship with you, I pray that the Spirit of God would bring conviction today, bring them to understanding and repentance and faith in Thee. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the word "common" means belonging to several. Uh, although you know, Jude talks about the faith being, or our salvation being common. It isn't. It's really just ordinary or cheap. Uh, it came at a great price. But the idea is belong, the, uh, belonging to or having things or, or, or uh, relating to or being, a, we often say, of like faith. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, and all, the believe, all that believed were together and had all things common. You know, in the early days, the first church, they all believed the same thing. I remember, in fact, there's, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, Terry Coomer out in Indiana has a church placement list. Churches without pastors are looking for assistant pastors, something like that, and, and, and I, I get it. <coughs> Sometimes I look at it just for curiosity, and other times I just delete it because I'm not really interested in looking for a church. But anyway, uh, I, I noticed the last time it came, there's a church, Fellowship Baptist Church, and it's in Elkton, Maryland, not far from where we used to be in Elkton, Maryland. And I remember the pastor there where we were at saying that um, he met a pastor who had been at that church for a little while, just new there, met him in the the or the uh, uh college wing there at, the, at Maranatha and said, uh, he introduced himself and said, I'm the new pastor at Fellowship Baptist Church. And he said, I said, I'll pray for you. He said, six months later, I saw him again. He said, he said, 
Pastor, I, I noticed that when you said, I'll pray for you, the, the twinkle in your eye, he said, do you ever try to pastor a church where no two people believe the same thing? And they're looking for a pastor again. Uh, but anyway, in Acts 4.32, again it says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said they any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Now this was not commune living as some try to promote, or redistribution of wealth as some try and use to justify. This was simply saying that they all believed the same thing, they all loved one another, and when there was a need... They supplied, those who had, gave to those who had not. There's no such thing as welfare back in those days. And many of those that got saved, because of their being ostracized by their families who were not saved, they lost their possessions, their jobs, their livelihoods. Most of us have no clue what that's about. I kind of understand it, because I understand Amish. If an Amish guy gets saved, he may lose those similar things. So it means they had things in common. They believed the same thing. They were one heart, one soul. Titus 1.4 says to Titus, my own son, after the common faith. So as we look this morning, as I look at this this morning, I want to look about this common faith and some things about it that has to be common or the same to really have that faith once delivered from the faith to the saints. First of all, it is common in that it is has a common source. Verse 1 says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ in call. Comes from, it has a common source. We are sanctified. That word sanctified means we are set apart, set apart by God. When a person repents of their sins and receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God sets them apart. He sanctifies them. They are set apart from the penalty of their sin. They're no longer under the condemnation of the law and of sin and of death. They are set apart from that. We have passed from death unto life, John tells us. So we're sanctified by God. You know, it's God that so loved the world, gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 said, God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it was God that loved us. Uh, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Somebody says that creation shows the power of God, that and history shows the providence of God, but salvation or the cross demonstrates the love of God to mankind. So this common faith has a common source. It is of God. That God that loved us. We are sanctified by God. Secondly, it is in a common person. And that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1 again says, 
Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. Notice also verse 4 where it says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it uses the name there, or the full name of our Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. That speaks of the, His complete personage, if you will. His complete person. It gives you the whole complete story of who He is. You know, there are many prosperity and positive preachers today that don't use that whole name. I have never listened to Joel Steen very long. Can't stand him. But he, he, they say he doesn't use the, the, the name Christ. He uses Jesus a lot. But doesn't use the name Christ or Lord. Uh, but when we speak about the Lord, it, we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are certain documents you, when you have to give your full name. You know, just last week, I made a purchase, and they wanted my full name on that document. I had to sign my full name. I usually don't sign my full name. I just usually sign, you know, usually if I sign something, I, I sign it, Jason L. Byler. Middle name's Lee. But they wanted the full name. So that's to be able to properly identify me. So if they want to come after me, they know who to go to. You know. Uh, you know, we need to have a proper understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And without his full name, we can be, have misunderstandings. And we may not have a proper relationship if we don't understand who he is. You know, there are many who say he was just a great teacher. He was a good man. He was a great example to the world. Well, lots of other people were too. But he is more than that. Let's look at these names. First of all, the name Jesus. It's the name of his humanity. In John 1.1 1, 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In Galatians 4.4 4, it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God uh, sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. So He was made of a woman. He was born of a woman. In other words, He took on flesh. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 <coughs> says, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. So he was a man in the fullest sense of the word. First uh, Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one meter between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He was a man. And 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And great was the, was the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. 
See, the, the name Jesus it speaks of his humanity. He was a man. He, he, he got hungry. He grew tired. He had emotions like we have. He was at all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. He was a man. But he was not only a man. The name Christ. It means anointed or the Messiah, the Son of God, or God with us. You know, there are those today who say that Jesus didn't claim to be the Messiah. Therefore, the Jews were justified in crucifying him. John Hagee. Huh? You know, in John chapter 4, you know, she says, the, the Samaritan woman said, when the Messiah cometh, he will tell us all things. Jesus said, I am he. I am he. Peter, in his sermon in the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 30, says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ, anointed one, to set on his throne. That's what the word Christ means. Anointed one. Go to Psalm 89. And that's, that's where David spake of this. In Psalm 89. Psalm 89 verse 19. It says, Then thou spakest in a vision to thy holy one, and sayest, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one, notice this, chosen out of the people. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. I have anointed him with whom mine hand shall be established. Mine arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflicted him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness my mercy shall be with him. And in, his, in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also on the sea, and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn. Who's called the New Testament the firstborn? It's Jesus Christ. See, this is a reference to Jesus Christ, not just to David himself. I will call him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk in not my judgments, if they break my statutes, keep not my commandments, then I will visit their transgressions with the rod. And their iniquities with stripes. See, Jesus is going to rule with a rod during the millennial reign of Christ. So David spoke of him as the anointed one, the Christ. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus asked the disciples, He saith unto him, But who say ye that I am? And Peter answered and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ. In Matthew 27, of course, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? 
Sunday school this morning, Brother Hoyle brought out in Matthew or Acts chapter 10 how Peter said to Cornelius that this Jesus God hath ordained. He hath chosen. He's going to be the judge of the quick and of the dead. See, he's the Christ. He's the anointed of God. As Jesus said to the woman at the well, I am he. I am the Christ. I'm the Messiah. So we see he is human. He was Jesus. He is the Christ, the anointed of God. We also, he uses the name here, Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord or the name Lord means master. It's defined as he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. Master, Lord, one who has control of a person. You Paul often used this phrase, I the prisoner of the Lord. Jude says here, Jude the servant of Jesus Christ. He's my master and I am his servant. I belong to him. He's the one that decides what I do with my life. He's my Lord. By the way, Jude was, is believed to be a son of Joseph and Mary. He'd have been a half-brother to the Lord. But yet he said, I am the servant of Jesus Christ. The Bible bears this out in many places. In Matthew 9, 38, it says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, he has sent forth laborers into his harvest. In Matthew 12, 8, For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath day. You know, the, the, the disciples had gone through the cornfields and and picked of the corn, or the wheat, whatever it was, and, and they ate it on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees chided with Jesus about that, and Jesus said simply, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord. All that belongs to me. I'm the Lord. And the Sabbath was made for man. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, Which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you know in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 13 and verse 20, it's, verse 13 says, Meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God should destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And verse 20 says, Ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, one preacher used to rightly say, We have no rights. We have no rights. We have been bought by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are His servants. We're His servants. And I believe that if a person refuses to make the Jesus Christ their Lord, 
will not submit to him. That's a pretty good indication. They don't really know the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we need to... In fact, you see this throughout the Bible. This is the attitude of people who, who call on the Lord. They're like Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 5. And he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? In fact, to deny his lordship is to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Notice verse 4 again. says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, the grace, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now the word lasciviousness is an old, old, old word. Uh, a little bit difficult to define, but it, it means lust, or the lust of the flesh. Uh, it, it, could all, it could mean... Um, uh, sexual lust, but it also could mean just disregarding rules. Playfulness. Frolicsome. And I thought about that a little bit. You know, I've heard a lot of churches today are just fun centers. The fun centers. Or places to be emotionally hyped up, to have a good time. To enjoy some worldly music. <laughs> I remember some, some people we knew, their, their daughter-in-law used to always say, oh, church was just wonderful today. The music was just fabulous. It was all about the music. And it was that contemporary rock and roll and all that kind of stuff, you know. Nothing about the preaching. The music was just wonderful. I thought our music was wonderful this morning, but it didn't make me want to dance. You know, the church is to be a place is to be a place of fellowship and a place of encouragement, but it is also a training center where you are to be edified. That means to be built up. You are to be provoked to love and to good works. And love is not getting, love is giving. Love is self-sacrificing. See, the church is to make you holy, not just make you happy. I remember a fellow saying years ago, and then he left the church. He said, we don't feel happy when we leave here. And I thought, hmm, didn't know that was criteria for there. All he did was really expose himself for where he really was, spiritually. By the way, if you will receive the truth of the word of God, God will make you holy and it will make you happy. It will give you joy. That isn't dependent upon your circumstance or doesn't have to be created for you. It will just be an inner joy. See, we can 
These turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. You know, He is the Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation is of the common person, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we see that this common, this common, it is common in the fact that it meets a common need. It meets a common need. Uh, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy on you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So it is a common need in that, and it is urgent uh, and needful that we need salvation. Uh, you know, man is, you know, the common condition of man is that he is lost without hope. Ecclesiastes 7.20, you know, the Old New Testament speaks about this. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. All of ye Pharisees, all of you Israelites, you, have, you must be born again. You need, a, you need a new birth. You need to be made right with God. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that believe, there is no difference. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you think you're closer to God than someone else, you're still lost. You're born that way. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, And as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, it meets a common need. All men everywhere are sinners. Then fourthly, it is the common theme throughout the Bible. It's a common theme throughout the Bible. You know, some people say that the God of the New Testament is not the same as the God of the Old. That the God of the New Te the Old Testament is, is a more of a judge. And God's love is not demonstrated in the Old Testament like it is in the New. Well, I very strongly disagree. You see, salvation is a common theme throughout the whole Bible from beginning to end. After sin entered the world in the, in the, in the book of Genesis, in the, first, in the third chapter, after sin, Adam and Eve sinned, God came seeking Adam. God came seeking Adam. Where art thou? Where art thou? Not that God didn't know where he was. 
but God was making it clear to Adam by his question what he, where he was, where Adam was. John 4.23, the Bible says, God seeketh such to worship him. He told Jesus telling the Samaritan woman. You know, after sin came into the world, God made coats of skins and clothed them. He covered their nakedness. Something, some kind of animal, we believe it was probably lambs, died so that man's sin could be covered. And, and, of course, they were instructed, and Abel brought a lamb and the fat thereof as a sacrifice, as a substitute for his own sin, and God had respect unto Abel's offering. Cain brought the fruit of the ground, and God had not respect, but God continued to seek Cain. If you bring the right offering, thou shalt be accepted. Is that not the love of God demonstrated or extended to Cain? But no, it says that Cain went away from the Lord. God didn't go away from Cain. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, that was almost everyone. Now, you'll understand why I say that in a minute. Because verse 8 then says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah preached for 120 years while he's building the ark. God's going to bring judgment. You need to repent. You need to repent of your sin. God's going to bring judgment. And they all laughed at him. They mocked him. But all who believed Noah's preaching, guess what? Were saved through the flood. All eight. Out of probably millions. All eight. Again, we see God's love and grace extended. Offering to man for 120 years to be delivered, to be saved from the destruction that is going to come. God chose Israel then as a witness. Isaiah 43.10 and verses 12. It says, Ye are my witnesses. Speaking about Israel. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Verse 12 says, I have declared and have saved and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. And as we heard again in Sunday school this morning, God sent Jonah to Nineveh. You see, Israel was to be a witness to the nations, not just to keep the truth to themselves. You know, like some people, we have me, my four, and no more. No, we were, they were to be a witness to the nations.
The tabernacle was to teach men that the way to God was through a sacrifice, a substitute. The Passover lamb, again, was to point or show men that they needed a substitute for their sin, to pay the penalty for their sin. And, of course, that was demonstrated by John when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You see, throughout the whole Bible, the theme is, the theme is salvation through the one who's coming, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's coming again. To deliver us from this present evil world. Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. In, in, in 1 Timothy. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1. I exhort therefore. That first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, this has been the theme throughout the Old and New Testament, that God wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth be saved See, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever Malachi says I am the Lord I change not see that God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New And the theme of the Old Testament is the theme of the New. It's just fulfilled in the New. Somebody, uh, uh, it's, you know, the, the, the saying is true. The, the New is in the Old concealed. The Old is in the New revealed. The New is in the Old contained. The Old is in the New. The Old is in the New. I can't remember what the word is. I have to write it down and see I'm getting over it. Old is in new explained. Senior moment. No. Intellectual overload. Uh, so it is a common theme throughout the Bible. And then, last but not least, it is received in the common way. Notice verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now when it says the faith, we're referring to the body of truth, the gospel, the, 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 the revelation of God. And what he's saying is it does not change. It was once delivered. It doesn't change. It is unchanging. Peter said it's incorruptible. Incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and bideth forever. The word of God does not change. 
The message of the gospel does not change. You know, men have altered the way of salvation. That's what he's talking about here in verse 4. They've altered it and they've changed it. They've, and, and, and you use the term today, the marketing of the gospel. Marketing. And, it, and you make it, and what they do is they make it so that it's more palatable or it tastes good or it is pleasing to man. You know, they're seeker-friendly. You ask them what they want. You know, if you're going to have a business, you have to have something that people want, right? Well, the gospel doesn't work that way. It is not marketable. In fact, I heard a, and it was Frank Garlock that said it, that a middle Tennessee professor said uh, uh, that the gospel is not marketable. To make it marketable, you have to change it. You have to change it. And that's what many have done today. Forget about repentance, just believe. Like one of the pastors was out at the Bible conference said that they have a church in the area advertised on the radio. You know, just come. You don't even have to repent. That's a Baptist church. At least it calls itself one. You don't even have to repent. They're, they're not, they're even open about it. At least they're honest about their marketing. But no, it is received a common way. Jesus said twice in Luke chapter 13, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. One, one fellow said this, quote, I wish I was overstating things, but according to the experience of countless pastors and church leaders, We've got an entire generation that doesn't seem to know anything about repentance. Unquote. You know, John the Baptist said in Matthew 3.8, to the Pharisees, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. Jesus came on the scene preaching, repent, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Peter preached repentance. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9. Uh, uh, Paul talked about repentance and, and as we were th- as thinking about Cornelius this morning in Acts chapter 10 and I believe this is a this is a this is a good explanation of what of the attitude of somebody that is, is repentant go to Acts chapter 10 and look at verse 33 your repentance is a change of mind with a change that a change of action it's an attitude or we might say a willingness to accept truth as it's revealed to you. Now, in other words, a repented a person who has repented, you will be able to teach and disciple. They will accept the truth as it's revealed to them. I'm not saying they're going to accept it the first time you give it to them. You know, the old saying is repetition is key learn. I didn't accept everything I heard the first time I heard it. I don't change my mind too easily. Um, but they will, they will receive the truth. They will be, you will be able to disciple them. Um, and notice here in Acts chapter 10, verse 33, it says, and this is Nicodemus speaking. Notice what he says. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast dealt well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, 
Are we all here present before God? Notice this. To hear all things that thou art commanded of thee of God. We are here. Here, whatever it is, God commanded you to tell us. Now, what was Peter going to tell him? Oh, you are really good people. I mean, Cornelius was a good man. Peter didn't tell him that. Peter didn't tell him that. He told him that Christ died for your sins. You're a sinner. Cornelius, you're a sinner. You know what? He already knew that. That's why he said to hear whatever God has commanded you. He already knew that. He had already come to that conclusion that he needed a Savior, that he was a sinner in the sight of God, and he had already repented in his heart. All he needed to know was the truth of how he could be saved. Who it was that could save him. That's all he needed to know. And as soon as he heard it, he received it. Evidence of that was the Holy Ghost fell on them and they spake with tongues. And all the Jews were standing by. I can't believe this. Here's a man who already had a repentant attitude, was willing to receive whatever it was Peter spoke to him. In Acts 17, verse 30, Paul, speaking to those at Athens, says, The time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, he says, Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we all get saved the same way. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're considered nearer to God or further away. Remember in Ephesians 2, we were far off. We were outside the covenants. We were further away from God, if you will, than the Jews were. They had advantages over us. But Paul says, those Jews and you Gentiles need to repent. You need to repent. You can grow up in a church like this. And be very near, and yet very far away, if you will not repent of your sin. Yes, we have a common salvation. It's not complicated. It's simple. You know, things of God are simple. It's we complicate them. But it is common salvation. It's in a common person given to us by the same God, a common God, who loved us and gave himself for us. And it's received in a common way. We repent of our sin and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you made him your Lord? Have you repented of your sin? 
and put your faith, your dependence on him as your Lord and Savior. If you have, we need to continue. We are his servant. We're his servants. And give out that message that others may know. And come to the saving knowledge of Christ.